The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled, trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that, they rain no, that no rain fall upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planning. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Woe to those of you who join house to house, who add field to field, until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, Surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute, and wine at their feast, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of His hands. Therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure, and the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down, her revelers and he who exalts in her. Man is humbled, and each one is brought low, and the eyes of the haughty are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God knows himself holy in righteousness. Then shall the lambs graze as in their pasture, and the nomads shall eat among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, let him be quick, let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, rottenness, and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against His people, and He stretched out His hand against them, and struck them, and the mountains quaked, and their corpses were as refuse in the middle of the streets. For all this, His anger has not turned away, and His hand is, stre- is stretched out." This is the word of the Lord. 
Father God, I just come before you and I thank you for this opportunity to just read your word, to learn from you, to hear your voice. You want to be a part of our lives. You didn't go to all that trouble to save us, to just discard us. You, you have things to say to us that you have said to us. Uh, Lord, may we turn to you. And I pray today that as, as I preach, Lord, that it's the Holy Spirit that preaches and that the words that are worthless and just filler, let them fall to the side. But let the truth that you want heard to be, to be said and to be heard. Lord, I just thank you for everything you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so my goal today is to talk about the wisdom of God and how it relates to the world around us and uh, how we try to be wise in our own eyes and how foolish that is. I do it. I'm often trying to just figure things out quickly without seeking God's wisdom. And some people would say, well, but that's not for everything. That's the big things. I really believe it's all the little things that add up to the big things. The patterns you set with the small are the patterns you keep in the big. It just is what it is. It, and today is not to get into the weeds about the degree of the world's sin uh, or its foolishness. Um, we got a lot of foolishness going on around us. Those are obvious. I mean, I could sit here for an hour and talk about the things that are going on that relate to the scriptures that we just said, but we know them. We hear them every day. We know the problem. We need the solution. Um, I used to have a boss, and when I was younger, it drove me crazy. We would have these meetings, and everybody would complain and get upset, and he would go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I hear the problem, but I need to hear solutions. And as a young person, I'd be like, oh, he needs to know how much I'm angry. But he was right. Like, we've identified the problem. Now we must identify the solution. Um, so, so in a sentence, what I'm looking at today is I want us to uh, conform not to the world, but be changed so that we may know the will of God. That's my hope. That's, that's the address. That's the main thing. So we're going to look at this portion of Isaiah first, mainly so we can see this is nothing new with men and the warnings of God that he gave to his people. Uh, so what's going on here? Background in Isaiah. This is the stuff I love. This is the stuff I love about Bible study. Is often we can read stuff, we can pop the Bible open and read it, but we don't know what's going on, we can spread a lot of false information. Sometimes it's good to just find out what's going on. That's another reason reading the whole book is really good, right? Getting context. Uh, so Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet, and he was prophesying during the reigns of, of four kings we know of, Uz Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. All of these were kings of Judah. This is around 700 B.C. That's 700 years, roughly, before Jesus' uh, his first advent. The kingdom was divided, and both of the kingdoms were in a great bottle, battle. What I mean by that is it was no longer one kingdom. It had ripped into two. Um, so we had Israel and we had Judah. And so they were both going through these terrible times, both not only politically, but spiritually. And they do this over and over. Um, those things, those people, they, when you heard that at the end, like, God's so harsh. He went through this with them a lot, and often he relented. There are times, like when you're reading, you're like, oh, man, how can they not see? But he still relents. He still loves them. And then sometimes, always, he does bring a form of punishment for their, for their disobedience, but he's doing it for their good. Um, so both of them were divided. Both of them were in decline in both these areas. Uh, a lot of turmoil going on. Isaiah in this section is showing how the vineyard that the Lord had planted had become worthless. Uh, one author sums it up this way. He says, God had promised Abraham that through his descendants the world would be blessed. God had promised David that his throne would lead the world into salvation. But by Isaiah's time, the descendants of Abraham and many members of the dynasty of David no longer trusted the promises of God, aligning themselves instead with the promises and the fears 
of this false world. You know, I thought about it this morning, like I have friends that over the years I've realized they're still believers and they still love Jesus, but they have slowly aligned themselves with the world. And they can't even split the two anymore. So God's rebellious people craving worldly security. Does that sound familiar? So in these first 12 verses, I'm going to sum these up. The first 12 verses, God built a vineyard. He cleared and he cleaned. He planted and he cultivated. He did everything needed, but it yielded wild grapes. That's 1 through 2, verses 1 and 2. What more could be done? God asked that, verses 3 through 4. He does that with us, you know. Like, we get saved, but I'm telling you, He has cleared and He has cleaned in my life. He has planted and He has cultivated. He's done the same thing. We're like, well, this is us on a larger scale here, but this is what He does in our lives. So now He will destroy and uproot it, verses 5 through 6. Why? It produced bad instead of good, bloodshed instead of justice. And that's something we're going to touch on in a little bit some more. Justice, extre- justice is extremely important to God. And we may not see that right now. We live in an unjust world. But it is extremely important to God. Justice is. Uh, warnings of the coming judgment. He does that in verse uh, 8, 9, and 10. They run after sin, live by their passions, life's a party, there's no room for God. Verses 11 through 12. But he gives us a greater explanation of why from 13 onward. And that's where we're going to focus, 13 to 25. He says this, Therefore my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Like when you first read that, you're like, what do you mean? What's going on here? In a way, he's saying they're not accepting his knowledge. They know what God wants. He's been saying it through the prophets. Isaiah was not alone during this period of time. That's another thing that Bible study shows you. He's not alone. He's not the only prophet. There's prophets in both kingdoms prophesying the same thing. Because during this period of time, they're, they're running off to other... Instead of seeking God's help, they're going, I'm fearful, so I'm going to reach out to Egypt to help me. The people who had him in bondage, they reached out to foreign enemies who tried to kill him before, and it never worked out for them. They knew what they were supposed to do over and over. Repent, turn to God, repent, turn to God. God kept crying out, but they kept resisting. They go into exile because they have refused to listen to God and hear His counsel. Uh, The Israelites were in the middle of this cultural stress, which is where we're at. It's everyday conversation. I don't know about for you. And I mean, I understand I work in a church, and so I see this more. But even when I'm just out in the world, everybody talks low about things they didn't used to talk low about. I notice that when I'm in restaurants with people, and they'll go into a subject, and their voice drops. What's happening The Israelites were in the middle of this cultural stress. They were seeking help from the foreign nations around them instead of God to solve their issues. And this was not a new sin. Uh, They had done this before. Like I said, they would seek God and defeat their enemies. Like, right? We see these wonderful battles where, where they seek God and He splits seas. Like He takes out whole armies. They don't have to get out of bed. And the army's dead. But then they turn around the next time and they seek a foreign nation and they lose even though God had warned them not to do so. And we can throw all the rocks we want to at Israel. We do the same thing. We're fickle. So this is very similar to Hosea 4.6, the very first part of Hosea 4.6. I would call it 4.6a. It says this, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because, because you have rejected knowledge. 
So there it is. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But he goes on to say, they know the knowledge, they just rejected it. So this lack of knowledge is by choice often. We know it's built in here. New microphone, I love this too. I'm going to tell you, this is great because the, the one up here bugged me. But, so I'm trying not to hit my chest here too much, but maybe at the end. Um, so, so verses 18 through 19, they eagerly look for and run to sin, denying its cost, and on top of that, challenging God to punish them. That's what's going on there. And that verse that probably stood out to you, it sounds like they're saying, God, come help us. They're not. They're saying, come on. Come on, big guy or whatever people say for stuff like that. Show us. If you're really there, show us. But they don't know the kind of showing that's going to happen if they don't turn or they're not listening. He goes on in in, in verse 20. He says this. um, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Does that sound familiar? I feel like in my lifetime and... Some people here think I'm very, very old, and others are like, you're just really young. But it's more now than ever. It's not new. Or let's say this, we're in a cycle right now where it happens very often. Things that yesterday we were like, that's wrong. Today we're like, well, who am I to say it's wrong? You know, maybe not. And we're going to talk about how we handle that when we, we face that. But that's going on with us. And, I, and this is what I think, if this makes sense. To survive, we as a society must excuse our sin. I think some of it's that. We know we got our own bag of stuff. And so what happens is, is we're like, well, I don't want to say anything about that. So like we excuse, we're excusing each other's sins. We're putting these barriers out. We're making it easier. We're trying to lower the standard. Um, you know, I'm going to say this. I... So I grew up here. I'm originally from West North Carolina, and something I always heard when I was a kid is, good fences make good neighbors. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that. Good fences make good neighbors. It's a mountain thing. This is, what's going on in Asheville is not new. You study your Asheville history, it goes back well over 100, 200 years. The mountains have always been a place that welcomes all kinds of oddities because the deal is, as long as you don't come on my property, I don't care what you do. Stay out of my yard, I'll stay out of your yard. Don't touch my stuff, I won't touch your stuff. So it kind of invites that. Um, so we do that. Hey, I don't know what you do, just keep it out of my face. So, so maybe here it's even worse. Well, you were created by God in His image, and His law was placed on your heart. And irregardless, what I'm saying by that is you know right from wrong. They know right from wrong. We all know right from wrong. You can go where there's no gospel to the farthest, remotest people who've never heard anything, no technology, and you'll find there that they're like, hey, I probably shouldn't flirt with the chief's wife. Like, it's a known thing. Don't kill my neighbor. It's placed in our hearts. We know wrong from right. It's been placed there. But irregardless, there is one with whom that standard is set. It's going to matter how you adjust it. It is, it is his view that counts, not ours. Why? This hit me. He cares more for us humans than we ever could. We prove that every day. You go, no, no, we care all about ourselves. Do we? We maybe care about what we think we need. We may care, think about our felt needs, but we don't care about ourselves like he does. He's willing to put everything on the line for us 
to break into history and make it all about saving us. Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. That is thinking themselves wise and clever. Some people were not relying on God's power to deliver the nation. They were like, we got to go somewhere else. We got to go where the, the, the armies are. We got to sell out to them. They thought they could protect themselves. No need for God. I know it all. We are guilty of the same. I mean, it breaks my heart. I have conversations with believers and they're like, well, I got this. It's no big deal. Well, I at least pray about it or, you know. I mean, you, you have access to God through Jesus. This is huge. He is your Father. See, uh, we don't seek wisdom. Um, we don't seek wisdom from God's provided resources. And that's all around us. Uh, we go get it on our own. Uh, even from a young age, I read that when I was reading the Bible, I was like, oh, I should seek wise counsel. And some people will be like, well, you're an overthinker, Jimmy. Maybe, but there's been a lot of times where I've sought wise counsel, where I've, I've saved myself a lot of pain. And it can be everything from the car you're choosing to the person you're marrying. He's given us wise counsel. He's given us His Word. And He's given us prayer. And He's given us a family. But most often... So where do we go first for direction? And I'm just going to say this. Most often, and I'm guilty of this, it's from that device in your pocket with a bite missing from the fruit. I'm just saying, some of you people are going to get that at some point. <laughs> Sitting in a restaurant with a friend a few years ago, we were doing an outreach. He'd come in uh, uh, from Missouri, and he's sitting there, and he was having to get his watch repaired. I was having to drive him around, and he goes... He held it up and he goes, you see that apple with the bot taken out of it? <laughs> and I never thought about it. He goes, what do you think that means? <laughs> I was like, I don't know, but now I'm really worried. <laughs> so we won't get into AI. That's a whole nother sermon. I'll let Brian handle that one. Um, so or we seek counsel from those without a biblical view. We do it all the time. We think someone, often they're wise in their own eyes. Hey, I'm going to get, because they seem like they're successful. But they're not doing it by God's standard. We don't seek it in the right places. We go to other people, or, or we get all these voices. This is something that I see often is people that I'll counsel with and I'll talk with, and I'll find out they have like three other counselors. They've got like a worldly one and a Christian one and one that's a Christian who might talk about you. Like, and so I have to sometimes say, you gotta, you gotta, it doesn't have to be me. You just can't do that. That's too much information. And we got that all the time. We're not seeking God and we're not the resources he's given us that are solid. So he goes on, he says, verse 23, the, the, they acquit the guilty for a bribe, a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Where is justice? God is big about justice, and so are you. So are you. It's just his level of care for it is so much far beyond yours. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. Verses 24 through 25, the result of all this not going with God's wisdom and knowledge is the anger of the Lord. And the Lord, he's got to take care of this. He's got to get them back on track, and he does it. If you've read Ezekiel, you're like, he's pretty much going to destroy everybody. But... He has this remnant, and he shores everything up, and he loves his people. So we in our culture, especially now, are in the same place. What should we do? What should we do? 
We need to seek the knowledge and the wisdom of the Lord. As I mentioned earlier, the Israelites were in the middle of a, of a cultural stress or crisis. They were seeking help from the foreign nations around them instead of God to solve their issues. You can think of the foreign nations being those people around you who are not in the family. Now, I'm not saying there isn't good advice out there. There's, some, there's people out there that are very smart. But it should first go through the filter of what does God say? What does His Word say? Um, they were wise in their own eyes. We also are in the middle of this cultural stress or crisis. We're in these shifting sands. Uh, we should seek God's help, His wisdom, and His knowledge for help in this time of cultural change and not the world's. There's so many things. For me, there's things that are just blatantly what, you know, it's not whether it's right or wrong. It's just how do I deal with this? How do I witness to these people? How do I share with them? How do I love them? We should seek God's help, His wisdom, His knowledge for help in this time of cultural change and not the world's. So the world's wisdom is pragmatic. It's what works right now. What does it take to get this job done? It's not long term. And that's changed in American society. Even in my short lifetime, <laughs> when I first started working, it seemed like the bosses and bosses management and the owners of companies were looking into the future. Now it's looking for today. How do I get today? How do I get bank money today? The world's wisdom, like I said, is pragmatic and it is short-lived. It is with self-centered outcomes. Even the most loving person who's not a believer or a believer, often when you dig deep enough, you see that it's still internalized. It's still about me. So we are often wise in our own eyes. So now we're moving to part two, finding true wisdom. Part two, finding true wisdom. So you can turn to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, not 25 verses. <laughs> Uh, page 891 for the uh, Bibles in the pew. Uh, and we're going to look at this for the antidote to the sickness of conforming to the world to seeking its approval and wisdom. Would that not be a great subtitle for a book? I don't know what the first title would be, but it would be for the antidote to the sickness of conforming to the world of seeking its approval and wisdom. So you know when you're getting into higher thinking books is when they have subtitles. And you go way back in time, I've got books, the subtitles are like a paragraph. Well, you need to buy the book. Just rip the cover off and take it with you. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to, this is Paul. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's it. It's a great scripture there. <laughs> Here Paul is writing to the Roman believers who are also in a major cultural conundrum. You're a believer in the Roman Empire during this period of time? It is not easy. I mean, Paul, the guy writing this, it's not going to be much long later. He's going to march into Rome. He does make it. And then he's going to be beheaded. So, not an easy place. And the cultural, if anybody's even... So you see these movies like Gladiator and stuff like this, and they're having all these festivals. This is nothing. You start reading about Roman emperors and stuff, holy smokes. It makes Asheville look like the church choir. Like, so these people, these people know what this is like, and they're living for Christ. You know what the beautiful thing about Paul coming into Rome and, and being beheaded? It says... 
extra biblical records show us that Christians knew he was coming, Roman Christians, and they were marching out to meet him for miles before he got there. That makes me want to weep. They were aligning themselves with him. Wow, that gives me doodads or chill bumps or whatever you call them. Um, so here he's writing to these Roman believers who are also in a major cultural conundrum. Roman society was extreme in its rules and sins. Um, so becoming a follower of Christ was to go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. So they needed instruction on what it would like, look like to be a follower in a society of hostile non-believers. So this portion of Scripture, 12, 1 through 2, this summarizes the response we should have to God's grace. First, because of the mercies of God, we are to offer or present our bodies as living sacrifices. Our bodies as believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 19 through 20. Our bodies are holy and set apart. I have to say this. Years ago, it's probably been 20 years ago, I was preaching in a youth service, and I used this script, the scripture there, the scripture. And I had this kid come up afterwards, and he was like really stoked. And he goes, what is this thing about making our bodies living sacrifices? And he didn't have a church background. So he, he really thought like it was, it was a mess. So I, I needed to learn to better make clarity when preaching all these scriptures. But what Paul's saying here is, is you're not your own. You're a living sacrifice. You're a living sacrifice for Him. We see in our previous Isaiah passages that the Israelites had started living like the world. They were heroes of excess. Heroes of excess. They were sacrificing to other nations' gods and not to the God. Now, if we evaluate our lives, we do this too in areas and sometimes we're really good at hiding them, but God knows, and He's speaking to our hearts today. They looked more and more like their surroundings, both outwardly and inwardly. And we know that's a problem. I hear this all the time, and I see it. People send me videos all the time of churches doing things that I couldn't, I couldn't be a part of. But, but we, we are looking more and more like the world. And often it's, it's a good. We're like, oh, it's because we're trying to relate. Yeah, that's fine, but you've got you to gotta watch it. What would God have you do? How do you relate to Him? Maybe just through love and mercy and grace. Second, he says, do not, do not be conformed. Do not, do not conform to this world, but be transformed. And this is pretty exciting. It says, the Greek verb translated transformed is seen in the English word metamorphosis. A total change from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 3.18. A total change from the inside out. So, so he's, te- he's telling us here, this is the key. This is how we're going to think differently. The key to this change is in your mind. It is the control center of one's attitudes, thoughts, feelings, and actions. And when I first read that, I was like, no, it's not in the mind. It's in the heart. That's another thing, right? I think Hallmark helped us with the heart. But, it's, but it is in the spirit, but it's the mind. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. So how do we do this? Well, there are the basics, and I even feel ashamed to use that word basics there, but it's God's Word, prayer, and fellowship. All three of those help you with that change um, tremendously. But you know what? You're not going to get the Word, and prayer's not going to seem right, and fellowship's going to be really hard without what, what truly helps us is, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. The primary change of renewal and renewal of you comes from the Holy Spirit. It is, the, it is first and decisively His work. 
We must have the Holy Spirit doing this in our lives. We cannot do it on our own. Titus 3.5 says this, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration, which you've done if you're saved, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And this is an ongoing thing. Just like sanctification, it's an ongoing thing. It's a process. John Popper says this. I've never got to quote John Popper. I've always wanted to, so here we go. John Popper says this. We join the Holy Spirit in His power and all-important work. We pursue Christ-exalting truth, and we pray for truth-embracing humility. You thought that was going to be longer, didn't you? Because usually when, when John Popper speaks, it's in pages, not in sentences. But I've whittled it down for him. Um, so the results according to Paul are this. We will then be able to discern what the will of God is. That is, what is His good, pleasing, and perfect will. What is His wisdom and what is His direction? So when the Holy Spirit's involved and we have that change of mind, then we will be able to discern these things. And these things are discernible through the Word. What do you want me to do, God? What do you want to show me? One commentator says this, As a Christian is transformed in his mind and is made more like Christ, he comes to approve and desire God's will, not his own will for his life. Then he discovers that God's will is what is good for him kind of like what I was saying earlier, and that it pleases God and it is complete in every way. It is all he needs. But only by being renewed spiritually can a believer ascertain, do, and enjoy the will of God. Isn't it funny? Like, you know, Brian said this last, I think it was last week he was saying when he was 30, he looked back on his 20s and went, oh, what a numbskull. He's 40, he looked back on 30. And anybody here who has any kind of age on them, who's seeking the Lord, realizes that about themselves. But as I look at it over the years, I more and more realize, like, he's doing this for my good. Things that just don't maybe make sense or I need to cut back on, but he's doing it for my good. Even being in the hospital is for my good, because otherwise I would have died. But, but in that area, he taught me something, and he brought someone into my life. He used that. He uses all those areas. So part three, wisdom, salt, and seen. Wisdom, salt, and seen. Um, concerning God's wisdom, His Word tells us this. And this is the classic. This is the one I went to forever and still do. James 1.5. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I like that. It's kind of like repeated there. There's a for reason if you read the whole thing, but... But it's simple. Now, here's the problem. Often we ask, we want an immediate answer. But, but honestly, how many, how many times in your life have you asked for God to give you wisdom on something and you're getting frustrated, why aren't I getting it, why aren't I getting it? And just in that pause on waiting for the Lord to speak to you, the direction comes or things change that make you go, oh, I'm glad I didn't do that. It's that being patient, waiting for Him. He also goes on in the book of James. He says, he tells us what the wisdom from above or from God looks like. Tells us what the wisdom from above or, God, or from God looks like. Verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. This last one, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's the wisdom I want. And that's the way we need to treat others when it comes to that. Wisdom first looks like that. God's never going to tell you to go out and harm someone or to do anything to destroy them. He's going to tell you to do things to build them up and to love on them and to share the gospel with them. Because that's the only thing that's going to change. It's the only thing that's going to change man's heart. You can, and I'm not against whatever picketing or boycotting. I think those things work in their right time. But at the end of the day, one thing I've realized is it's not going to change without the gospel. You can put in all the reforms you want. People are going to break those things without... still going to break them. But, but with that gospel change, that's the only way men are going to, to do differently in those areas. So um, as I was working and meditating on this sermon... Let me repeat that, actually. I need to say that one more time. Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. It's gentle. gentle. I'm combining words there. Open to reason, full of mercy, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So as I was working and meditating on this sermon on the way to church one morning previous the uh, hospital incident, um, these thoughts hit me. And I'm going to be honest with you. These thoughts hit me because... As I was going down the road, someone cut me off. And my instant desire was like, well, I'll show them. And I didn't act on it, but that was what went through my head. <laughs> but it was in that moment because I was, um, oh, that scared me there. It went away. Um, this is what, what, what came to my heart. The wisdom of the world says, go, go, go. The wisdom of God says, wait, be patient. The wisdom of the world says, take everything. The wisdom of God says, give all that you have. The wisdom of the world says, don't push me around. The wisdom of God says, how can I help you? The wisdom of the world says, don't trust anyone. God says, trust me, not me, him. (laughs) The wisdom of the world says, it's all about the here and now. And the wisdom of God says, it's all about eternity. The world says you need more. You deserve more. The wisdom of God says you deserve nothing. But I give you everything. I give you eternal life with me. That's pretty good, right? Just what he does for us. The wisdom of the world says run from God. The wisdom of God says come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. The wisdom of the world says make sure they get what's coming to them. The wisdom of God says show them mercy and give them grace. And that knowledge is going to look a lot like that when you need it. So, you know, according to the Word of God, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And I remember when I first heard that when I was younger, and I was like, fear? That's not this kind, loving God, or what does that mean? And there's an awe, there's a reverence there. It's a believing in who God is. But one aspect that aspect of that is, to know, what, to know that he is a just God and therefore demands justice. His word says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. So what shall we do? We know it's been shedded for us, but the sin 
problem is still there in the world. But what should we do if, if we haven't accepted that and we haven't received that and we're not following Him? He's made a way. He delivered His own Son up, a perfect sacrifice. He shed that blood or allowed that blood to be shed for us. His own Son up, a perfect sacrifice, the just for the unjust. His blood is shed so that you may have forgiveness of sin. So what is required of you? That would be my next question. What is required of me? And to be honest with you, for years as a younger Christian, uh, I got a lot of answers to that. I got a lot of answers to that. That laid a lot of weight on me. But let me read something for you for that requirement. Or you can read it with me. Page 714 in the Pew Bibles. It's Joel 2.32. This is Old Testament. Joel 2.32. Joel 2, and this is probably about 700 years before uh, Jesus' first advent, it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does everyone here qualifies everyone? Yes. Because I just said, does everyone here? Therefore, you're everyone. It doesn't say to Jews. It says to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, for you skeptics, you New Testament people, Paul repeats it. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the answer. That's the answer to that change. That's that answer to that gateway to that knowledge. This calling on the Lord is believing His promises. See, we want to do. What is the list, Jimmy? What is the list? What do I need to do? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So wisdom says, do not tarry on this decision. We read that from the very first scripture in Proverbs. Okay, so I got some questions um, up here or here um, for the community groups. And if you just want to take and think on these. Uh, So the first one is, uh, where do I see in the past that I was relying on my own wisdom rather than looking to God? It's good to reflect. A survey done a few years ago asking people who were like over the age of 90 or something like that, and they said, what would you do differently in your life? And they said, we have all these things that come to mind, right? They said, I would reflect more. I would have reflected more as I was growing up. What were the results when you didn't rely on God? Number two, are there areas in my life right now that I've let the world influence my direction rather than seeking God's wisdom? Number three, do I think God will give me wisdom if I ask? Or do I think my, my needs are unimportant to Him? If so, does that thinking line up with His Word? It bothers me because I've had some talk, talks with believers over the years and they were like, God just doesn't have time for me. They believe in Him. They know they're saved. They're just like, He's got too much going on. And that says a lot about why we need to study our Bibles. He created the universe. I'm pretty sure that He can work in there like... That's, it's just amazing. So, um, number four, does knowing what links Christ went to for my salvation help me see that He also wants me to trust Him for direction and wisdom? So, we're going to take communion now. But if you need to talk to me about this belief in Jesus or you need clarification or prayer, it doesn't have to be me. It can be one of the elders. It can be one of the pastors. It can be a Christian, uh, uh, just someone with with that wisdom and that solidness. But here's the thing. If you ask God for wisdom for that, He's going to give it, for, give it to you on who you need to talk to. Um, please see, let me know. Please see me. 
uh, I will get you those answers. Uh, so there, this is something I always miss. There are black boxes in the back um, for giving or for ties. But one of the most important things for I know for Brian and for the staff is connect cards. If you've got prayers, please put them in there. If you have questions, please put them in there. If you have needs, please put them in there. We want to know. Um, so we're going to do communion. This is for the believer. Um, we do not take this lightly. Uh, um, we do this in remembrance of what God's done for us, what Jesus did for us. Uh, the wine or the juice uh, represents his blood, which was shed for you. Um, and uh, it was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Uh, the bread represents his body, which was given for you. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to sit down. Uh, we're going to take a few minutes to reflect and ask God what he wants to say to us today. Someone taught me this years ago. And I think if you, if in this quietness, just ask God, I'm asking for your wisdom. And what do you want to say to me today? It might not be right now. It might be later. But if you believe him for that, you trust him. If you read on in that James 1, he's going to tell you. He's going to share that with you. He's going to reveal it to you. He'll reveal it to you when you need to hear it. Um, so, I'm going to say, so we're going to take a few minutes to reflect and ask God what he wants to say to us today. And then when I approach the, tra to the table, it will open it up for everyone starting with the back rows, of course. If you haven't been here, you wouldn't know that, uh, to come forward. Uh, so let me pray, and then I'm going to sit down, and then we'll take a moment to reflect. Oh, Father, I just thank you for this time and this opportunity. And, Lord, I just laugh because I can't believe um, that that you would use me for this, that you would just even remotely give me this opportunity. And I just, um, I thank you for that, that you uh, use that which is broken, use that which um, the world wants to toss out. I thank you. Um, Lord, I just pray that as we uh, reflect on what's been heard here today, Lord, that if you, if you just want to say something to our hearts that you would, and um, we would listen. And I just thank you and praise you. and. Um, Look forward to worshiping or continue to worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.